Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the last lap podcast. The only podcast in the world with the Black Plague. <laughs> well, on one, one side, am I right? <laughs> yeah, yes, this is, this is true. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and as you can tell, I'm uh, stuffed to the gills with everything that you don't want to have. Uh, and luckily beside me is a man who's uh, fit as the proverbial fiddle, Sean Gray. Wow, that might be extending the truth a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly in... Uh, a little bit better health than you at the moment, so that touch wood, touch wood. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, as we uh, me- we message everybody on Twitter and on Facebook, just to let you all know, obviously, with my health, I wasn't able to uh, make a recording um, for the Malaysian Grand Prix. So we're doing a bit of a double header tonight, and we'll run through both of the races in a little bit of a different style than we uh, are probably used to, um, focusing more on the teams rather than the drivers. And then we'll catch up with everything in F1 and see where we are uh, three races into the season. Already, eh? Doesn't time half fly so fast, you know? Oh, three, really? three, three races in already, you know? It, does, it doesn't seem to take... These flyaway races always seem to go real, real quick. And then the time between that and the start of the European races always seems interminable, really. Listen, it's that gap in August as well. Yes. The bane of my life. <laughs> So, uh, let's start our uh, roundup with the Malaysian Grand Prix. Um, a very interesting race for... Uh, really? Well, everybody really, in a, in a lot of ways. Coming coming so hot off the heels of um, Australia, where everybody was just like, oh God, Mercedes are running away with it. And everybody was kind of, you know, there was the Christian Horner thing calling for things to be changed in the sport to try and level everything up. And then we kind of got this, and that that seemed to change everything. But it, yeah. it was still only the second race, so you know I was a bit, hmm. Well, is it is this really a new dawn, or uh, are we perhaps um, reading too much into one race result? You, you never, you know, Rebel ru- ru- uh, won three races last season, but it still wasn't a close race, really. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so let's start with Ferrari then. I think that seems to um, make the most sense um, with Sebastian coming in first and uh, Kimi Raikkonen valiantly um, yeah. climbing the field. Uh, you know, Seb's, ride, Seb's drive was so good that people kind of forgot a little bit about how good Raikkonen was as well, given all of his, uh, his turmoil that he had. Exploding uh, con- tyres. Con- continuing his role in the Felipe Massa position in that <laughs> team of just attracting all of the bad luck ever. Uh, yeah, he still managed to drag it up to fourth. So, g- great. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I mean, I'm a Ferrari fan. Uh, I said at the start before before straight, I thought I think we're going to be good this year. I think we're going to be quick. Was not expecting uh, a victory on pace in term on, on merit. You know, if Ferrari were going to win a race for me this early in the season, it'd be because Mercedes would trip over each other and Ferrari would be best of the rest. I did not expect. Uh, certainly at this stage to show what we've seen in Malaysia, which obviously I was delighted. There was something really <coughs> something really nice about Vettel winning um winning the race in the Ferrari and then hearing the uh 
the German anthem on the podium followed by the the Italian anthem. Just, there's <laughs> yes. something something a little bit just that made me go, oh yeah, that's that's everything is in its right place in Formula One for uh, me. A bit of a wander down memory lane, absolutely. It's lovely, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, like you alluded to in your introduction there, I think, and we'll probably talk about it more in China. I think it it was certainly closer to a one-off than it was the opposite. Now, I think. Well, Ferrari have definitely improved, and, sh- and they definitely they outdid Mercedes in terms of the strategy and the way they used their tires. But I think we're still going to see more Mercedes. Like seventy percent of this season will probably be Mercedes victories at, at minimum. You would think. So yeah. while I'm delighted with the progress Ferrari have made, and I think they've made great progress compared to the, what they were in last season, I think every, uh, we do need to just you know chill a little bit and go yeah it's great it's certainly much better than what we expected but you know the second coming of a great championship battle isn't quite here yet you know it's it's going to take a little bit more work for them to regularly do what they did in Malaysia yes um the the beginnings of it sort of happened around sort of um free practice three where it seemed there was um, a certain amount of pace in the Ferrari in the um, in the warmer conditions that that, that hadn't really been seen um, in Australia, um, which I thought was interesting. And then, obviously, we, we kind of lost sight of that with qualifying with the wet quality. Um, it it was more um, a case of individual driver skill, kind of. Um, hiding various weaknesses in the car and obviously Lewis's lap was was something extraordinary to to get that pole by quite that much because clearly the Ferrari were able to do something you know um in the way that they were dealing with their wet weather tires that, that kept them competitive even though it was it was colder and then obviously for the race we got um very hot without you know without the cooling that we kind of expect from malaysia really it, it can be hot but it it's usually humid and um with sort of slightly lower track temperatures because the sun's being covered up by rolling clouds coming in from somewhere um so it, i thought i thought the interesting thing is is that it, it, it it's i i think the wet qualifying has proven that maybe there's there's definitely room for the Mercedes to be caught when the weather's not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, whether hot weather is a chink in the Mercedes armor or it's just a case that the Ferrari is particularly good in um, warm weather about looking after its tyre. Um, and as it was pointed out, obviously, um, James Allison is the, you know, is the new addition to Ferrari. And all of his previous cars have always had a bit of a habit of being kind to their tires. It's what he really brought, brought to the the Lotus um, when Kimi and Grosjean were, pop, you know, popping up into thirds and seconds and and that that win in Australia was, was it Australia that Kimi won in? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it? yeah. Do you know it was it was all down to how well they were doing the tires and um, the team he was with previously um, was it Sauber. Did he design the Sauber that was really kind on its tyres as well? Or was it the Williams? I can't remember. I couldn't tell you. I'm not sure. Anyway, the, the team he was before had the same 
advantage in being able to look after its tyres that's, you know, sort of so much better. Maybe it was Force India. Might have been Force India, I'm thinking, um, when the Force India was very, very good on its tyres. Um, but in all of those teams, what that allowed them to do was give them isolated results. It wasn't, um, it wasn't really a package that uh, consistently won races or was consistently fast. It just meant that when others were struggling to look after their tyres, you had an advantage. But that was probably 20% of all the races a season. It's not... As you say, it's it's not... Uh, it's not necessarily the beginning of a big championship battle if, you know, um, in an unseasonal race um, or an unusual race, an unusual team has an advantage or a different team has an advantage, I should say. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's pretty much the way I, the way I took from... From the race, uh, what what I did what I did show was that you know if you know if there is a slight mitigating circumstance in one way or the other, Ferrari will be there to take to pounds, you know, which was good. Like when it was last season, Mercedes' advantage was so big that even when even if they weren't quite right, they were still able to 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 manage the gap and see yeah. at home and still get the win. Whereas now it's kind of proven that, you know, if they're not if they're not on their game, at least, you know, then you know there's a team that's going like even even in China, you know, the gap was they were better in China than they were in Malaysia, obviously, but the gap was so much that, you know, if if they made a mistake, Ferrari were right there to pounce behind them. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know going into future races as a fan, you know, oh, well, Mercedes are probably going to be the best, but, you know, there's always that element of, well, if you don't quite hit it, you know, Ferrari are going to be there to pounce. Whereas last season, you were going into races thinking, Mercedes are good, and you know what? They could probably do six pit stops and still win the race, you know? It was that It was that silly. So, yeah, definitely uh, positive positive times, for me anyway. <laughs> I don't know about you. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm um, as I've always said, I've always been happier when there is multiple winners and there, there there is a challenge going on for the title it's it's never a good season to have a, a singularly dominant team and drive and or driver who wins everything it's just not interesting it just isn't no, interesting. of course um so did you, as much did you... as i'm not a particular ferrari fan i, I appreciated um and was, and was pleased for vettel as well actually i i thought when you listen to him on the on the radio one of the few things that I was always very impressed with about Sebastian was the way he thinks about racing. Um, and it's a real good, good comparison between him and Nico where Nico seems to need to be fed the information to keep on top of it. Whereas Sebastian always seems to have an idea of what's going around him mm-hmm. That's all, true. all the time. So you could ask him, you say, um, okay, Sebastian, you know, um, how do you feel about getting to target and with the, proximity of the cars and you wouldn't have to tell him the distances or anything like that he just knows you know what he can do how far he's got to go what he can exactly get out of the car it doesn't you know it always seems right there for him to pluck out of the the ether so to speak um and that's quite impressive because it must have even knowing you had a long stint advantage it's not the same thing as saying that you know he could just pull away and, and do do the race as he wanted um so I was I was mightily impressed by how sort of calm and collected he was um, throughout that race. Really, um, yeah, you know, I was I was very impressed by the Ferrari and pl- and pleased for them to win. You're listening to the Last Lap podcast. 
the home of F1 banter. With Andy and Sean at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Yeah, it'd been the longest uh, dry spell for, for quite a while, I think, in terms of race wins. So it was nice to get that hoodoo off the back. And good for Vettel to get the win so quick into his career at Ferrari because, you know, if, if the car wasn't up to par this season and he didn't win all season, then the now start coming out for Vettel, perhaps unfairly, you know. People saying, oh, well, he only, the, 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 he only wins in the fast Red Bull brigade have a lot more ammunition, whereas, on you know, he's, he's nipped that right in the bud right away. It's like, give me a, a semi-decent car and I'll I'll drive the ass off it, and that's what he did. So he's nipped that in the bud right away. So good for him, good for Ferrari, good for Formula One. The only person that's not good for her is uh, Toto Wolff and his Mercedes team. But, you know, they've had that much good that we can... They're due. They were due a wee, a wee um, reminder. That yes, they can't have everything their own way. So. so, so speaking of Mercedes, then we'll move on to them. Um, now they they seem to be aware of the the difference in in time management that they were going to have to the Ferrari, um, which kind of made it seem very strange that they leapt into the pits to change their tires um, when their safety car came out. Because if you knew that you were going to be marginal on tyres, why would you hand the advantage straight away to the other team? And um, in a lot of ways, it's very lucky for them that Kimi got the puncture note. Because if he didn't, he'd have stayed out as well and, and then been in front of, of both the Mercedes. Um, and it, it could have been quite, quite easily a 1-2 for Ferrari based on you know uh, a poor strategy call. That's all it was at the end of the day, wasn't it? It was, it was poor strategy. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say that the result ultimately only hinged on the strategy call, but clearly it made it easier for Ferrari to be out in front and having the pace to be ahead without damaging the tyres than it would have been for them to be behind and then having to catch up and pass the Mercedes, even if they had to tyre advantage, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, as soon as the... Um... As soon as they went into the pits, I was like, I thought to myself, oh, I don't know about that, you know. I thought, at this point, I still expected them to win. I didn't think Vettel would have the pace to stay in front. I thought, but then I was a wee squeak here for Vettel, maybe. And then as the laps went by, I was like, this is, you know, this is looking more and more like a Sebastian victory here. Like, and then about halfway through, I was like, well, they, Mercedes have mucked this up, you know. I was like, I was shocked, but obviously so pleased. But yeah, I mean. Like you say, I think or it's like they thought they could come into the pits, change the tires, and still have the pace to be able to to catch. I think they were surprised by the pace of the Ferrari at the end of the day. They obviously believed they still had the pace to, to be able to catch Vettel on the track, having come in. Or did or do you think they maybe expected Vettel to pit as well? I don't know. Um, I think probably the problem was is that they decided they they allowed themselves to be led by the safety car, and reacted and went, "We're going to go for the safety car." That that's that's what we're gonna do, and I know they've got to make split second decisions, but I just would have thought that for them it would have been sensible to have not pitted along with all the others, um, given their advantage over everybody else, and knowing that you know potentially they. Um, 
we're thinking about running soft, medium, medium, or whatever it was, or medium, hard, hard, whatever the compounds were, you know, knowing the delta was so big uh, and that they weren't going to be able to um, get the laps even on the medium. They, they needed the pace of the softs um, for as long as they could, they could get out of it to try and um, stay ahead. Uh, so to me, it just it felt like a really rash spur of the moment decision and not not thought out. And I wonder, I wondered how much that was down to the fact that for the last you know season, they haven't had to think about anything like that on the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and even when they made bad calls, they were still able to eke out the wins and one twos because they could just know that they could get ahead. So uh, uh, complacency, maybe. That's a good word, yeah. Complacency is a good word to use, yeah. That's what it looked like. And even, they even said after the race, when you heard from Nico and you heard from Lewis, you know, they were like, oh, well, they basically admitted they didn't expect the Ferrari to be that close to them. And and both both of the drivers said, oh, well, we have to be on our game now for next week, you know. Like, like you say, complacency is the perfect word. Uh, and, 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 you know, to be fair to them, yeah, they've, they've up, they've up, they, were, they were back on form in China, so... Okay, um, so after the Mercedes and Ferraris uh, came Williams. Um, two by two there with the Williams, you say fifth and sixth for Bottas and Massa. Uh, probably the only uh, sort of big piece of on-track action really from that whole weekend that I really remember was the the dueling of Massa and Bottas as they uh, headed into the last three or four laps or so. Um, so good to see them fighting on track, and um, I suppose at this stage of the game. Um, they haven't really got that much to lose. They they're clearly the third best team now. Um, they're such a they're in that just you know they're no they're not nowhere near as quick as the two teams in front of them, but nobody behind them can really get any close to them. So they're just existing in fifth and sixth. And if their cars are reliable, there's a ninety percent chance they're going to come fifth and sixth. Simple as that. Like it's a, it's a, it could end up being a bit of a nothing season for them. Really. What do you think's happened to them to have made them you know? fall that far behind hmm. I don't know if they're any further behind I think Ferrari have just improved so much but they seem they seem slower than the the Mercedes team now it's the gap to the Mercedes do you think the gap to the Mercedes is bigger than what the gap was last year it feels like it it feels like they were finishing sort of 10-15 seconds behind them last season and now they're finishing like a minute behind them yeah maybe <laughs> The developments maybe just stalled, whereas the other two teams have the budget to, to push on. I don't know. You know, the other two teams have found maybe a few tents here and there that where they've they've kind of stayed in the exact same place as they were last season. That's what it feels like. Hmm. I see no I see no progression where there is obvious progression from the Ferrari in a big way, and the Mercedes has progressed just neatly and tidily as you expect the best team to do. A little bit here, a little bit there, keeping their advantage. The Ferraris made rapid gains, and the 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 Williams is just, it's just you know, it's it's not it's not regret. I don't think it's regressed at all. I think it's just stagnated. Yep. And and you know if they continue to do that, given depending on what happens with McLaren, they'll keep if they get manage to develop, they'll be on the pressure from them. I don't think they can worry. They don't have to worry about the Toro Rossos or the Force Indias. Uh, because they too are teams that aren't going to make rapid gains. But if anybody starts making rapid gains, like Lotus or McLaren, they could be under pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the solution is. Is it a budget thing? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, 
it's prime, it's sort of documented. They're not going to have the budget of the teams around them. So maybe maybe this is it for the Williams. I, I don't know. Could be. Could be. Um, so moving on from Williams, the next came in two by two again. Uh, Toro Rosso uh, scoring seventh and eighth. So, uh, Max Verstappen becoming the uh, youngest point scorer in Formula One. Um, Very nice weekend for Toro Rosso. They're out doing the, uh, the big brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Max Verstappen's looking pretty, pretty good, I'm thinking. Uh, you know, points on his uh, second ever race at, at his age. He's not gonna. He, he's he's just taken that car and got. Yeah, he's never gonna compete with the Mercedes or the Ferraris or even the Williams. He's in the Toro Rosso. So, you know, he's 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 won his race basically, uh, which is all you can ask. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast, the home of F1 banter. Again, with Toro Rosso, do you feel that maybe this result was? Um perhaps situational in how well they did um you know could it be that the toro rosso has a little bit of the ferrari um kindness on its tires um because they didn't they certainly you know moving on in um china and in australia they weren't anywhere near sort of seventh and eighth pace so do we think that maybe it has a particular liking to to something about it could be uh if i didn't see i can't remember a whole lot about how they were how the race planned out for them to be honest uh i was too busy you know your focus is on your sebastian vettels and lewis hamilton's of the world so i can't remember exactly what how the strategy went for them and stuff so it could well have been that uh I guess we'll find out maybe down the line if there's a track where Ferrari are really good at where there is heat. Maybe if the Toro Rosas have a good weekend there, then that'll kind of confirm your theory, I guess. I don't know at this stage. True. Okay, uh, so big brother team Red Bull, um, ninth and 10th. Uh, uh, you know, a bad a bad sort of race all round qualifying front to back for um, Red Bull, really. Um It's not great for them, is it? I, I don't... <laughs> you know, is it just all the Renault? Or has there been... You know, they, you know, they got got rather pillaged for their aero team. Could it could it be that those losses are really showing them up in again? You know, they were slightly better in China, but... Um... There's a team... Going back to the Williams, having said that they're just stagnating. They haven't... Re- they're not regressing, Williams. The Red Bull team has regressed. Yes. They are definitely regressed from last season, whereas everybody has, you know, moved on. But, okay, the argument that the Williams has stagnated, but, you know, Ferrari, Mercedes, Mercedes uh, especially Lotus, they've done so much improved on last season. Sauber. Sauber, exactly. I think all these teams have all made some kind of tangible progress because as you'd expect that. It's the second season with these engines now, so they should be able to make a bit of progress out of them and they should be able to package the rest of the car around the engine in a more efficient way than they did last season and now it's like Red Bull are the only team who are you could you, you could genuinely point to and go maybe Force India as well but Red Bull definitely 
you go, they have gotten worse. Like Ricardo was winning Grand Prix last season. Like mm. you say, it was when, you know, the Mercedes had shot themselves in the leg, but he was there, able he to was, take it. Yeah, he was he was the next guy. You know, a lot of the time, you know, they were qualifying third and fourth last season. You know, they were the if Mercedes weren't there, you were next on the list you were kind of looking at the Red Bulls. They've been leapfrogged by maybe even like the Lotuses and the you know the mid the mid card teams mm-hmm. now it's it's very strange. Like you say, maybe it is something more than just not enough power. Maybe it is the aero as well with the you know the McLaren signed a boy or two, didn't they? And Adrian Newey's talking about going to the America's Cup. Teachers matter. She keeps saying, "Oh well, maybe this isn't for us in a long term." It's just this very negative atmosphere around the whole team. Everybody in the team seems to have their eye on something that isn't the Formula One team, you know? Yes. This is this is true. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's a, a temporary thing or not. And and I think the problem is is that, in a way, the way that that team has progressed is that they were they took over an average team and were average for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then they suddenly leapt to being really a, a four-time championship winning team so now is really the first time that they've had they've got what i would consider to be adversity to overcome because when you're a mid-field team and you're just trying your best you, you take what what you can get um it, it's not as stressful there's not a, a pressure on you to do well because you haven't done well so therefore any success you get is generally a one-off here or there you know like they had in monaco where they had you know it was uh a lucky result really in all those bits and pieces and um as soon as you become a, a that top team a lack of success is felt more keenly so i just i just wonder if the team is just just doesn't have the experience to be able to deal with how f1 turns around and bites you in the bum that's true uh, i think you make a very good point compared to a team like mclaren who have been through the mill more than once. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Come out even, the other side no. and know what it's like to have to, you know, they know what it's like to have to struggle oh, to get results. It's not all that. the top teams. If you think of all the the top, you know, le- like legendary teams, your Williams, Ferrari, McLarens, these teams from the seventies and eighties and the nineties, they've all had at, at various points had really dominant cars and then come back down and struggled for a bit. Like it, it, that, that's kind of just what happens, you know, because they find something. That, that that sets them apart from the rest, and then when everybody else catches up, you're back into the the middle of the things. It'll probably happen to Mercedes as well when everybody's the engines level out. But yeah, it's how they how they bounce back from that 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 is the question. Like you say, McLaren have had ups and downs. Like you know, post post sort of Senna and Prost, they had a bit of a lull maybe in the mid '90s, and then towards the end of the '90s, they came back with Mika and he got two world championships. So it's how the the um, they bounce back. That's the question, and I'm not sure. Well, the, the like I say, the signs are pretty negative at the moment. They're not talking so much about oh, it's okay. Like you look at McLaren. Every interview you hear from Alonso and Jensen is oh yeah, it's fine. No, we're, you know we're, we're crap just now, but we've got all this to come, and we're looking ahead, and it's great. It's much more negative at Red Bull. Much more, and that's not a good sort of working environment to be in. Horner's moaning about. Leveling the playing field, and Matajic keeps saying he's going to they're going to leave, and 
Like you say, Adrian, I've got Adrian Newey, he's, um, he's always looking at the, he's talking about this his last season, he wants to do America's Cup, stuff like that. So, <coughs> yeah, like you say, is it, is it, is it temporary? Is it, is it permanent? Is this, is, it, is this the death of the Red Bull? <laughs> Maybe. So, Maybe not. Could be. Could be. But I, I, don't, I don't know. What they do have is they have an asset in Daniel Ricciardo, who's an excellent driver. So that's one positive for them. But I don't know. I think they probably need to change the engine, really. So moving on from Red Bull, then we um, kind of come to Sauber, really. Uh, bit of a yo-yo season for them, really, isn't it? In terms of... Um, oh, sorry. Uh, we don't come to Sauber at all. I'm looking at the wrong thing. We come to Roman Grosjean in the Lotus. Apologies. Um, that, uh, although, ironically, the point still stands. It's a bit, bit of a yo-yo kind <laughs> of season so far for them. Uh, they seem to have done very well in quali and then not had great races, really. Um, uh, bit better in, in China. Um I don't know. Uh, it, I mean, they've. If you want to talk about teams coming back from adversity, you know, Lotus were horrendous last mm-hmm. season. Really, they've definitely progressed. They've definitely made progression. I don't think there's a doubt about that. The problem for them is they're a one-man team. Roman yes. Grosjean is literally having to do everything himself. <laughs> Maldonado just trundles around in his own little mini version of Destruction Derby. Like he's doing. Like, they must. I cannot believe for a second the money he's bringing in from his Venezuelan sponsorship is justifying all of the repair work. I mean, he's can't cover it, to do. Can he? he really can't cover it. Um... It's just. It's becoming ridiculous, quite frankly. But yeah, poor old Roman Grosjean. To his credit, you know, he's just plucking away. They gave him the worst car in the world last year. and He, he was tried so to nice his... about it, wasn't he? Yeah, that he was tried to thing. keep his head up. And, and they've, got, they've given him a better car this year. I think, you know, they'll be consistent point scorers in the, anywhere between 5th and 10th mm. for, for the rest of the season. I don't think... I don't think they need to worry too much. I, I, I think it's okay. Like, they've got the Mercedes and the engine power in, in there now, so... There's certainly no reason why with that power unit in it they can't be competing with the Toro Rosses and the Red Bulls. No. Uh, so they're probably not going to be able to compete with the Ferraris and the Williamses. But, you know, outside of that, they'll be right in the hunt. And that's an improvement on last year by a big, big way. So if they continue that level of progression for next season, then, you know, it's, just, it's not the worst. There, there are worse teams to be. Which last season there wasn't there wasn't much no, worse there wasn't, you could be. No, than you, in a you could have only been really Salber, couldn't you? And then <laughs> and it was really really dire. So, um, well, yeah. In fact, speaking of Salber, you know the next team team down in the list. Um, out, if you had to pick which of the cars you'd drive, would you pick the Salber or would you pick the Lotus? Yeah, that's a very interesting one because I think the Salber has been quite handy this year as well. They're another team who have made progression. Purely, probably, assumably, because Ferrari have made progression in a lot of the Ferrari, you know, the Ferrari engine and stuff. They've always kind of been an unofficial little subsidiary, almost a Ferrari, the, mm-hmm. uh, except for the BMW days. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously, if you look at Ferrari, what they're doing, so that's obviously a big positive. But at the same time, 
Grosjean has got the Mercedes. So, and the Lewis, I don't know, it was a tough, that was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, they could, uh, as long as you're not in the Force India, I think you're doing okay at this point. I mean, out of those three teams, that that, that seems to be the battle. You know, you'd rather you'd probably rather be in the uh, in the Lotus or the Cyber than the Force India. Mm. I think this. I think the Cyber probably has more scope to progress. Uh, sorry, the Lotus has more scope to progress than the Cyber. I think the Cyber is doing quite well, but it'll probably tail off a level of development and and stagnate there mid season. Whereas I think the Lotus probably has more ability to kick on in, in, it to, in the second half of the season and then going into to the following year. So oh. for that reason, Lotus. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast. F1 for fans, by fans. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with you on that. I think if you look at the cars, the Lotus is a very different beast than it was how it was designed the previous year, whereas I think the... The Sauber is probably a progression um, on last year's car. So I think it, it makes me think that maybe there is still stuff to be found in, in the Lotus because yeah. it's new to them, whereas maybe the Sauber doesn't have quite so many fresh routes. Although, you know, it, it, at the moment it appears to be a bit of a sort of 50-50 flip a coin about which which team is going to turn up and be slightly better than the other one uh, race to race. But good that we've got it. You know, it's mm-hmm. good to have that unpredictability and have more than one midfield team being around and about to score points and give us racing. You know, realistically, you've, in a way, got Toro Rosso, Red Bull, Lotus and Sauber all all mm-hmm. in a mix of, you know, who's going to turn up with a decent package for this Grand Prix. And I like that. It's, yeah. It's actually making the, the last points paying positions the most fun points to be racing for. Yeah, different probably. tracks are going to suit different teams. You know, you don't know what you're like. You say this the Malaysia track, the Toro Rosso looked quite good, but then in different tracks suit different teams. So, like you say, yeah, it's gonna it's a bit more unpredictable. It's not just two by two by two. Yeah. True. Um, one team where it doesn't look like any track is going to be a track that they uh, are going to enjoy is obviously Force India. Um, it's such a shame because they've got such. I love both their drivers. Like I think that both drivers have definitely got good, good to great potential. And you know they're just stuck in this. They're the they're the Roman Grosjean almost of last season now, of just being in the in a crap car, a capable driver in a in a crap car. So it doesn't look like it's going to get any better either. No. Um. Uh, f- for Malaysia, uh, we had um, Mana Mauritia finishing their first race with Roberto Meri. Um, only three laps. Only down three well. laps down. I think in a lot of ways is is. Quite an impressive feat to be well, honest, I mean, to be honest, you know, back in the day, the Minardi used to finish sometimes five, six laps down. Mm. So, you know, it's not it's not any worse than the backmarkers that we've had in the past. No, probably. and they're, they're not that far off of what they were the, the last couple of seasons, really. Where no. they were they were generally two laps down most of the time, uh, and could have been three on on some of the uh, the faster circuits for the for the Mercedes. So, you know. Fair play that they are turning up and, and giving it a go week in week out because they you know they've got nothing to look forward to really. <laughs> Such um, a depressing outlook, isn't it? <laughs> but they're better off than Catrum, so yeah. I guess that, that, every time they go on Twitter and see that the Catrum Twitter account is being used solely to advertise the um, the online auctions for all of their stuff, <laughs> they must look at it and go, Do you know what? It actually could be worse. <laughs> 
Yep, at least they're there, you know. Roberto Mary is, uh, like I say, finished the Grand Prix, so there, there is what it is. Um, it actually puts them a bit, it puts the Manor team a bit better off than quite a lot of Formula One teams who have existed and have never managed to actually make it onto a Formula One racing track and finish a lap at all. I so. didn't. I honestly didn't expect to see them ever again after, after the end of last season where they. <laughs> They uh they went to the wall. I thought, okay, that's it. You know, it was fun while it lasted for Kateram and Marussia. You know, they they tried their best, but you know, they're going to the graveyard. Mm. And even up until a couple of months and before the season, it looked like that was still going to be the case. So fair fair play for them. Like you say, they've got it there, and to only finish three laps down. Yeah, that's a pretty good achievement to be honest. Like you say, like, and to get a car that around that sweltering heat in Malaysia. To just to do the distance and stuff is it's not easy. Look at the two McLarens; neither of them finished. So, uh, yeah, well done to to Roberto Mary and the Marussia team for finishing the race. And uh, obviously, yeah, that does leave us with McLaren. Um, two two DNFs, uh, both quite near the end of the uh, end of the race. Realistically, um, it was going to happen, wasn't it? Really, it, it, it was surprising it didn't actually happen in Australia and that Jensen finished. So. Um, I guess we probably shouldn't be too surprised to see that there are going to be, uh, you know, dumps for uh, for McLaren this season for both cars. Um, there becomes a point where, you know, at what point do you think it's start acceptable for them? To, like, do they need to be sort of scoring points? But given that we're, we're after China, we're now three races in. At what point do you need to say, oh, okay, now now you need to be, you know, you need to be at least competing with Nazar and Grosjean and Perez and Hulkenberg, et cetera. At what point will you say that that's, 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 that's when it should be? As, for you as a McLaren fan, when um, do you expect that? I, you know, I, I expect to see real improvement after Bahrain, I think. Um, I think my expectations have always been quite low actually because I kind of know that that's how F1 works um, it, you've got to say I think publicly oh yes we're um, we expect to be competitive by you know the Europeans or by Silverstone or, or whatever you're going to say because I think you have to say it and you, you have to make that your goal and work towards it um, but to me if, if they were you know able to compete for ninth and 10th by Europe. That's a massive, massive leap as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm, um, I agree. And I, I, I think that would be fine. You know, it's, it's all right to be, you know, saying, you know, we'll be up there by then. I don't think they probably will. Um, and it's a bit like we were mentioning it before, like with the engine penalties and stuff. You just kind of just got to take it, really. If you you decided they decided to roll the dice, decided to go for the new engine, this is what's going to happen. So, don't kind of load up expectation in your mind that it, it, the season will have any high points. It's kind of how I'm treating it, so that whenever they do and they do well, I could be pleasantly surprised and 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 be happy to to see the progress and not try and judge it by an invisible standard of saying if McLaren haven't scored a fifth place by Monza then it's a terrible season and <laughs> you know 
life isn't worth living because I just don't feel I don't feel this season is worth giving that kind of. Um, so if they didn't score a point all season, I think that would be terrible. Don't get me wrong; it's it's not good. Do I think that they will go all season without scoring a point? No, I think that they'll be able to get that car to a place where. Yeah, it'll I mean, be competitive enough for at least the tail end of the points during yeah, the I mean, season. Whether they do better than that is the, you know, you'd be mind blown if they didn't score a point. This is McLaren F1 we're talking about, but you know that's the most extreme circumstance. But I mean, you know, there becomes a point where you might as well just completely sack everything this season and put it forward to next season. Then I guess that's almost what they're doing now, isn't it? Really? I think it is. I think this season <laughs> is a um, is done in terms of thinking about it as, any, as being anything other than the steepest like a, learning curve that you can have, really. Yeah, the season's like basically a year-long test session then, isn't it, really? With the idea of coming back in 2016 and challenging for the world title. Uh, I think so. I think every time that they do a full race distance and they can prove that the, they can make the engine reliable is actually better than a point, uh, in a way. <laughs> um, because every time that they can afford to turn the engine up, you know, uh, a level you know if they're running on you know level six at the moment every you know as soon as they can turn it up to seven that that's good and if it takes five races before they can actually turn it up to ten know the the, the true inner pace of the car and then work on everything else well then that's just the way it is if that means that takes you halfway through the season well then that's just the way it is so let's um so, like I said, I'm I'm keeping my expectations really low. It's just getting a couple of points on the board. The season is not completely, you know, is not completely awful. It's not the worst kind of season you can have. You can't have a, you know, a season like, um, you know, Salva had last last season, where they had a bad car and couldn't do anything with it. I think it's okay to say the car can't be turned up well enough for it to compete. But when we can, then then judge the season on on how well it does. We just need to wait and see. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, pretty much yeah. It it will be what it will be as far as I can. As I said earlier, you know, Jensen and Alonso though they've been quite likable likable about the whole thing. You know, they're having a laugh with it. They're quite relaxed. They understand the situation. They're not, you know. Jensen in particular has been pretty fun. <laughs> Some of his little comments I heard him say. I can't remember what it was exactly. But, you know, quite, you know, quite jokingly, you know, about the situation because they know, you know, they're not there to compete. You know, they're there to finish the end of the race. And, and that's like you say, it's like a point to them if they finish the end of the race. So you, you could be, you could have a, a reaction to it um, that's certainly much worse than, than what Button and Alonso have, have come across. So mm-hmm. fair play to the guys there. They're just mucking in, they're rolling up their sleeves and you Taking it on the chin, which is good to see. Yeah, indeed. You're listening to the Last Lap podcast. So let's move on to um, let's move on to China. Um, do you feel that the Chinese results for all of the teams really are probably f- more accurate to where the cars are relative to one another? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's pretty much, you know, as closest to what what it is as you're going to get in terms of the time distances between the the teams and also in terms of who's got the upper hand within the team. You know, Hamilton's won the race. He's beaten Rosberg. 
by what did he end up beating him by? Not not much, but that's the way it's been for you know eighteen months now. Uh, it's it, he's got the upper he's got the mental upper hand. I think that's proven by uh, by Nico's starting to lose his mind a little bit. <laughs> it was happening at the tail end of last season, and I worried that the defeat might. Uh, might break him mentally and it kind of looks at us he's it's only third race in and he's already crying you know conspiracy and lewis has done this and things like that so but yeah i think it's definitely an accurate representation of where we're at we've got lewis beating rosberg doing just enough doing, doing, doing what he needs to do he's got the upper hand and the mercedes and mercedes itself as a team doing just enough to beat the ferrari team in behind they've, they've got the upper hand not by loads but by by a comfortable enough margin to to, you know, to do the job, and and that's that's pretty much where we're at. And behind them is the Williams. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite. I used the phrase earlier, but it's quite two by two. You know, all things being equal, you expect the two Mercedes to come first and second. You expect the th- two Ferraris to come third and fourth, and you expect the two Williamses to come fifth and sixth. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty much what I took from it. Is I thought we had a kind of normalisation of probably where all the teams are in that I don't think the Ferraris really have that pace advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I don't think Mercedes have the advantages that they did have and the Williams are not probably as far behind as Malaysia made it seem, though they are behind and essentially had their own, again, had their own race. And they, as we as we mentioned, was seems looks like it's going to be the the hallmark of the season. So again, you're you're kind of drop, jumping straight to seventh um, before you start getting to talk about anything interesting, and that's not well, good for Formula One either, no, is it? No. Uh, when when it does go in that sort of two by two by two way, and it does happen now and again in F1, that's pretty much the worst because towards the last 10, 15 laps of the race, you're generally devoid of action because the teams will just hold station. You're better off with two number one drivers and two different teams battling out first and then two number two drivers for the same two teams mm-hmm. battling out for third and fourth. You know, you were better when you had like Schumacher versus Hakkinen and then behind you'd have... Coulthard versus... Coulthard, Coulthard, yeah, or Barrichello or whatever. Yeah, and at least then you were getting two battles for... Yep. Like, and if, the, if, the, if one battle went a bit dead, you go, but okay, so who's going to be the best out of the other two guys for the third post or whatever? But when you get this two by two by two, you know, they, they kind of all hold station a little bit. Slight exception there might have been if Raikkonen had managed to catch Vettel at the end, but then obviously the safety car came out and all that kind of thing it didn't happen. But at least last season, Rosberg and Hamilton were kind of having their scraps. But this season... It looks like we're not going to get that. It was a very weird race from Rosberg. Where he's where they talking about Lewis holding him up and stuff. Then go go attack him then. You well, know? he said he said afterwards that, uh, that he did catch up, um, but as soon as he got anywhere close, the tires just went off. And what's the point? Because if you shred your tires going past somebody, they'll just you know they'll That's just true. wait until you're you're so slow that they don't have to stay behind you. And then they'll overtake you anyway, um, and that's not good, is it? it well, it isn't. And I think the other problem is is that Mercedes have never um, been a team that will pit their drivers against one another, and I, no. that's the worst bit of it. Is that they wouldn't give Nico some kind of counter strategy to what they were going to do with Lewis? 
They could have pitted him earlier and said, right, that's fine. We'll try the undercut with you, Nico. We'll see if we can um, get you out on the softs and uh, see you put in a few laps. It just means that you might have to, you know, you'll you'll suffer a bit towards the end of the race, but at least we can try and get you out in front and then maybe you can control the race. But they never do that. And they've no, said they that never they won't, ever do that. And they've said that they won't do that. And that's rubbish because <laughs> all the other teams will at least allow their drivers to race if they're on contra strategies. Um, or, or consider, or would consider splitting their strategies. The only reason they had split strategies in um, Malaysia was because they realised they got it wrong with Lewis. Do you know? Mm. They had a chance to change it with Nico and stick him on a set of softs for the last part of the race, but it wasn't done to give Nico an a you know an advantage over Lewis. It was the hope that that what it would do is you know is keep him ahead of um, of Raikkonen. Um. It leads to a very frustrating sort of second half of the race. It was awful. You were you were literally waiting for the last ten percent of the race to see how everything shakes down because all you were doing was waiting to see how long they could stay on the tires before somebody had to pit. And Mercedes were canny enough to understand that they could react to Ferrari and they didn't have to um, lead the way like they did in Malaysia, where they made a mistake and and thought that they could go first and do what they liked. They were. They were, you know, sensible. They were relaxed, and they said, "No, that's fine. We'll just, um, we'll just pick the, the the lap afterwards and and do it that way." But the problem was is that that when you've got two people in two equal cars and passing is difficult, and you're not prepared to give the other driver in the team a chance to beat the person in front, you you know, you are only ever going to stick to a team strategy. Then what's uh, the point of having yeah. two goddamn races on the track? Just have one. Whoever comes on pole position then is going to win the race pretty much, you know. If if Rosberg had managed to qualify Lewis here, Rosberg wins that race probably. Yeah, I, and I think that's true. And all the Lewis fangirls can sit there and scream and say, "Oh, why didn't Nico? Why didn't Nico just pass him on the track?" The big crybaby. But Lewis has said exactly the same things when he was stuck behind Nico last season when he wanted to get ahead and the team wouldn't change the strategy. Do you remember he, he publicly said? When I was at McLaren, if I was stuck behind my teammate, we'd go on a mm-hmm. contra strategy. I'd get a different strategy to try and beat my teammate. And they mm-hmm. don't do that. And that's exactly what's happened here. So all the Lewis fanboys shouldn't be sat there going, oh, what a crybaby, because Lewis has, has said exactly the same things. And as a you know a, gen, a neutral fan, you, you turn up and you, you know qualifying almost takes on more of an edge than the than the actual race itself because you know if whoever gets on pole and if they get off the line then you know a track like China that's it you know it was it was it was more or less over from there. Not good for uh, racing given that we had such a good sort of feel good factor in Malaysia with uh, certainly from my point of view with Vettel winning you, to, to come you know, it was wasn't great was it to come back down to that. No, it 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 really wasn't. Um, What's the solution? Because we can't force Mercedes to, you know, it's their prerogative or their strategy. They can do whatever they want. So. Exactly, and I think that's it. But I think I think then you've got to realise that when you, when you know people complain about the racing, they've got a legitimate complaint about the racing. It's not a, it's not a case of people wanting to be negative for negative sakes or, you know, or whatever. Um, but you can't blindly defend something that isn't particularly good. It's just one of those things. There may not be something you can do about it, but it's worth talking about the fact that things aren't 
the way that we would prefer them to be. And it, it, I think, you know, if social media gives the fans a voice of any kind, then putting your views out there for them to be digested by the people in charge, potentially, you know, we hope, then you've got a chance of making a difference, of, of putting ideas in people's head about how they could change it or, or looking ahead to, to think what the best things are to um, make this happen. Martin Brundle was talking about um, how the problem is, is that um, since sort of ground effect was banned, a lot of the regulation has been about things underneath the car and then they've allowed all of these turning veins and bits and pieces on the on the top of the car. But that's what destabilises the air coming off the back of it. If there was more emphasis on kind of ground effect coming back, then the cars would be able to follow much more closely because the end, the air is not being, you know, smooshed about the top of the car to give the downforce that way. It's being, you know, the car's being sucked to the floor and the air's staying more still that way. So, you know, th there's things to be done if, if people really want to look at it. Um, it just requires the the push in the direction to make it happen. Yep. Well, I agree with you. Yeah. No, nothing you've said there I would uh, disagree with. So, so if, I mean, if you let, I mean, it, I think it should come to something when you look at the, the if you look back of the footage of that race, we saw more of Roman Grosjean, Felipe Neza, Daniel Ricciardo, and Marcus Ericsson. <laughs> We've seen Marcus Ericsson we... versus Daniel Ricciardo for about ninety-five percent of the race. I felt like. <laughs> Exactly. It was good, though. It was good. It was. <laughs> it was. Having cars close to another is, is good. So, you know, think about it. You know, at least we saw a little bit of the, the Ferraris and the Mercedes, but you you saw almost nothing of the Williams. Cause they, uh, yeah, they had, there was, again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Just could be, a, it was a nothing race for them. They just existed, not being able to get anywhere near the Ferraris, but with absolutely no danger behind them. And similarly to the two Mercedes up front, you know, they just, the two drivers just went about and did the same strategy, and that was it. They finished where they started. So this makes for boring TV. And poor Williams, you know, poor Martini spent all this money being a big flagship sponsor of Williams, got absolutely no coverage because it's, what is there to watch? No. And in fact, I, I think the McLarens got more um, airtime than the Williams did. Um, just and they because... don't even have a sponsor. <laughs> no. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? And they, they, were, they were definitely, um, it wasn't a, a good, uh, their, their advantage uh, that they, that they were obviously had in, in Malaysia wasn't, uh, didn't allow them to catch up quite so much. You know, the, the Force Indias were probably quicker, quicker than them this race not by much but by by enough to make it you know meant that they weren't really challenging them um but they still managed to have more battles in the williams and therefore got on tv more so it's almost like what's the you know what's your goal here guys if you want to get on tv you need to make be a racing crap people. <laughs> yeah absolutely you're listening to the last lap podcast the home of f1 banter Uh, Ricardo and Ericsson, uh, well, first of all, so we'll start with seventh. Grosjean was in seventh, and then eighth, Nasa, ninth, Ricardo, and then tenth, Ericsson. Particularly Ricardo and Ericsson, they seem to be like glued together to each other, you know. Um, going back to what we were talking about as we went through the teams for Malaysia, do you think that is it the Sauber that's uh, 
improved then do you think for uh do you think that's a, a justification of where they should be against the red bull or do you think it was a case of the red bull coming back the way again or? i don't think the i don't think the cool conditions favor the red bull um which is not good going into the european races um uh, which is odd because usually the one thing with the, the amount of damp force they had slapped on that car was that it worked. It, it could work heat into the tyres if you needed it to very easily. Um, I, I think if you look at it, what are the teams that are sort of pulling ahead of them? And it's all teams that don't have a Renault in the back, really. Um, it's true. Toro it. also probably being closer to... Um, closer to natural form although maybe a bit harsh because they were behind the McLarens and that car's faster than the McLaren at the moment um, but I don't think they, they it doesn't feel like the package for, for Red Bull is, is probably as good as the Sauber or the Lotus scary that's scary almost isn't it <laughs> um, I, I would I'm starting to now think when I'm you know doing my top 10 predictions for the various fantasy things that I do online I'm actually thinking, well, who out of the Lotus or the Sauber is going to be, you know, picking up that seventh, eighth, and ninth kind of places? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, do what? Should I risk it on Daniel uh, Ricardo or um, Danny Kvyat? Because they're just the cars are breaking down a lot, and even when they're going, they don't necessarily seem to be going all that well. No. Credit where it's due for, um, as we said in, bit, in Malaysia, the Lotus looks to. Have- made marked progression in Roman Grosjean pop it into seventh yeah uh, I don't remember seeing a lot of them to be honest yeah he um he qualified well stayed in his position didn't get into trouble and drove a really yeah. good solid race and I you know uh, at the end of the day there was two or three seasons ago when if you'd have put the idea of Roman Grosjean and a solid, steady, uneventful race together, you wouldn't. You'd have laughed. He's looking like Alan Prost next to Pastor Maldonado, though, isn't <laughs> he, he? He really is. <laughs> I mean, I've been a long-time fan of Roman. I'm so I'd be so glad if that Lotus could continue to improve and uh, and give him more points finishes. He got like I said about Verstappen in the last race. He's never going to beat. The six cars ahead of him, so he's he's won that race basically. He's won that battle against the Cybers and the Red Bulls. So, well done to Roman there. You know, uh, a good like you say, good solid drive. Yeah. Same could be supposed to be said for Nazar in, in eighth. Uh, again, it seemed to me like it was Ricardo and Ericsson that were battling all the time. I don't really remember seeing a lot of Nazar. Uh, no, again, I think he got ahead, and because the others were fighting so much, was able to to stay ahead. Um, without really troubling Grosjean ahead of him um, and, and not getting caught up with... Because Ricardo and, and Ericsson were falling over themselves and, and, <laughs> and Sergio Perez in the, the other Force India as well. It was um, comical, really, in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, they ended up behind the McLarens and the, the McLarens were at least putting up enough of a fight to make it a pain in the ass to get past them. Um so I think that's kind of kind of where they got that how well they finished was from their ability to stay keep, keep clear. But the car and the drivers allowed them to do that. So you know, I, like, as I said before after the Australian Grand Prix, I am massively impressed by Felipe Nasr. I didn't think he would be this good. Um, 
So he's becoming a little bit of a favourite of mine, because, ironically, because he's proved me wrong. Yeah, because um, you wrote him off. And, now you're... and I quite like that. Do you know what I mean? I quite like that, you know, we've got somebody from GP2 who everybody said thought they should be good. And, I, you know, I, wasn't, I was sceptical about it. It's good to have, you know, your preconceptions challenged. So I, I, I like him for, for giving me speaking of, hope. You know, speaking of that, Marcus Eriksson has done not too bad. Last, uh, I've got a, I'm, st- I'm not, I'm still not completely convinced. But some of his duels with Ricardo over the weekend there, you know, it's better than what I expected of him, perhaps. So maybe give him a little bit more time because I was very much in the um, oh, just get rid of Eriksson and put Van der Gaard in the car kind of sober mindset or anybody not Ericsson he couldn't do anything the career and boo not Ericsson what's he doing he's just a pay driver money this money that I was very much in that kind of frame of mind over the winter so he's done all right he's picked up a few points finishes and the stuff that he's shown you know in in, in racecraft alongside guys who are bigger and better and more experienced drivers than him and the likes of Ricardo and Hulkenberg etc uh yeah he's, he seems to he's been doing okay so jury's still out but I'm prepared to maybe give him a little bit more time than than I was yeah I'm 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 not convinced by him particularly especially after a silly little trip into the uh, gravel it uh, in Malaysia I thought that was just silliness um who was it they had the um the silly spin oh Carlos Sainz, Sainz who, who was, I thought had, uh, been, had been very um had probably been the more consistent driver out of it between him and Verstappen. Verstappen's made some nice moves, but I, I'd kind of felt that Sainz had been driving better um, before he had that little silly spin, and I was a bit like, mm. it was very, yeah. very, it was very rookie, wasn't it? It was very, just you know, it was very completely. Oh, I've, I've pushed myself out to the outside of the track. Well, rather than accept my fate and you know manage the situation, I'm going to put my foot on the loud pedal and see what. Oh, fuck up. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't great but again like uh, he's, he's done okay so far still plenty of time for science and both Mauritius finished yeah Will Stevens is that his first his first completed <laughs> Formula 1 race his is it I believe first full race weekend bless him um, and he's beating his teammates so and, he was, and quite convincingly as well he was um, he was a good chunk ahead in qualifying and I think he finished a good chunk ahead of him on the track as well so can only okay. can only beat what's there, and he's not going to compete with anything other than his teammate. So he's he's one for one, I guess. Can you say? That? Yes. Well, for him, I suppose it's only fair to judge him on the races he yeah. actually got to start. So, yeah, one yeah. one for one in that little. Uh, um, and almost equally mind blowing, the two McLarens finished as well. They did <laughs> ahead of other cars that weren't just the Maroosies. Although, admittedly, that was mostly down to. Um, both signs and uh, Verstappen having not very good end of, ends of the race. Um, how comical was was it getting that Toro Rosso through the gap in oh, the pit lane? Oh dear, I'd forgotten about that until you mentioned it there. Oh god, they had to rip the nose off and things. Oh, I think it's I've quite... never seen the monic somewhere. The Monaco marshals are just face palming into oblivion. Like. <laughs> No, don't do that. No, <laughs> it's just because the Monaco guys are like that. You know, it's like wow. How have you done that? Levels of impressiveness, and yeah, what were these guys doing? <laughs> oh dear, 
It was. It's my second favourite thing I think since the fire truck drove on the middle of a live track. <laughs> that was pretty good as well. Yeah. Uh, Just, uh, the, I mean, I know you should laugh, but the time the tire hit the guy in the pit lane. <laughs> it's, yeah, just levels of just. Oh, what have you done? Uh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. It's like an F1 botchamania. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, I mean, poor, poor uh, Max, you know, he was driving a really good race as well, and then he, he's, uh, he's Renault engine, more bad press for them, because it wasn't, I mean, Kvyat's went as well, didn't it? They had two big, the two yeah. blowouts, so. I'm on fire, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. Yeah, I mean, it's more, more bad press for the Renault engine, not like they didn't have enough coming their way. Uh, that guy, who's this, is it, is it Cyril or something, the head of Renault? Oh, uh, yeah. The one that keeps picking up all the flat from Christian Horner, anyway, whatever his name is. Yes, the one that's uh, always constantly being shown, spoken to Dietrich Mateschitz or yeah. Christian Horner. He's going to be getting a couple of angry emails from a Mr. H. Marco in the morning, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he's, it wasn't good. wasn't good. Yeah, poor Max has been cost. Uh, I think he was in the points, wasn't he, when he's yeah. when his engine blew up? Brundle was waxing lyrical about him on commentary. I don't know if he picked up on that. Brundle was getting... Well, he said Schumacher Center-esque, and I was a bit like... Oh, a bit he's made a couple for... of good moves, right? But most of the Toro Rossa drivers, at some point during their two to three seasons that they get, do one or two good moves. Mm-hmm. Jaime Agrasquari made a few few really good moves. Do you know what I mean? Even Sebastian Buemi made a few good moves. Probably the only drivers that probably didn't are Scott Speed and Sebastian Bourdais, but there you go. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't have everything. Liuzzi, um, Antonio Liuzzi. Oh, yeah. well, Liuzzi did more than his fair share of um, <laughs> impressive moves among the stuff he probably isn't quite so proud of. Yeah, um, I think obviously his Verstappen's age is obviously playing playing the part. You know, if he was five years older, he might not be getting quite the. Um, the smoke blowing up him as as much as is what he is. Still, having said that, you know, he has, he has been pretty decent. Uh, we've said all along, you know, for a couple of years now, with the way they work this team and the, you know, the, the constant revolving door, if they haven't set the world on fire after two years, they're out the door. And, and we've always said, although they can't all be Sebastian Vettel, you need to give them some time whatever so you know maybe maybe so maybe max Verstappen is the one who's going to be he's going to be brilliant maybe who knows uh but i'm impressed i am impressed not quite martin brundle senna schumacher levels of impressed but i am i've been quite impressed with him oh yeah yeah don't get me wrong I, i think he's done some very good good things um in that car um since he's been given a chance in it but yeah i'd i'd hesitate to be saying i see glimpses of you know massive multi-time world championship chips in him but you know at, at least at the moment he could replace Danny Kvyat if they wanted to by this by the look of things yeah but then I, I would so. I would say the same thing about Carlos Sainz I don't think he's done himself any disservice either I'm um, feeling bad for Fiat because well he's had no luck has he he's, no, he's making no Mark Webber think he should go out and like play the lottery if the bad luck he's had he said no luck and if it doesn't work out for him at Red Bull He's probably got nowhere to go. No. He's, not, he's not going to go backwards into the Toro Rosso, and you'd be surprised if someone else took him on, unless you know his luck drastically improves and the Red Bull drastically improves, and he starts you know getting serious podiums and stuff. Uh, if this Red Bull just meanders through this season, and at the end of the season 
they say, okay, you know, we're going to put Max Verstappen in the car. Fiat probably out of a out of Formula One at the age of what twenty yeah. or something like that. Well, we've said it all before, though, haven't we? Really, it's kind it's of it's insane. But you know, I think Max will probably get two years in the Toro, so they won't jump to the the Red Bull right away. So hopefully, a knock-on effect of that will be Danny getting two years in the Red Bull, and hopefully, you know, they've sorted their shit out, their stuff out a little bit, and you know, it's it's uh, he's got a chance to actually show what he can do because you know, I thought he looked quite good at times last year. Definitely quick. Not sure about the race craft, but definitely one lap pace and, and speedy. Mm. And he's just not getting a chance to show it because if the Red Bull is one thing, it isn't speedy. <laughs> <laughs> Other DNFs then. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, what happened to him? Just pulled up, didn't he? Uh, he did, yes. Uh, Gearbox or something like that. I think it was uh, Boxer Neutrals. Yeah. Um, oh, that reminds me why Carlos Sainz finished uh, so far down. Do you remember he said uh, yeah. got no drive he, and, and then it he, came did back. he did control lock delete on on the steering wheel and suddenly oh no everything's fine off i go <laughs> again <laughs> they just picked up again and went back up to 200 k's it was mad <laughs> and uh last but not least retired was uh oh who was it again oh, I, I, I struggle to forget i am starting to feel a little sorry for pastor maldonado because <laughs> it's just ridiculous like man. the last few seasons they've been his fault 90 percent of the time and actually, so far this season, I don't think anything's been his no, fault. It's just true. It's he true. needs to get the Mario Balotelli "Why Always Me" T-shirt out because <laughs> if somebody's going to get smashed into by somebody, it's going to be Pastor Maldonado. And, 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 and it was at the know, end of the race as well. That was the, and, like the worst thing. He must have thought, "Oh, I've done I've done like fifty laps of this fifty-six lap race. At last, I'm going to oh, what Jensen." What have you done? No. <laughs> That's the second as well. You know, it's the most experienced driver on the grid as well. It's, you know, <coughs> done him from behind. It was a silly move by Jensen. I think he's given a penalty for it, wasn't he? Uh, so. he, got, he got five seconds and two points on his license. <laughs> That's um, probably a fair fair enough. Well, it was. And I, I think the only thing that happened was that Jensen was just so happy to be potentially <laughs> racing somebody. He, he was just like, hey, overtake a move. Oh, <laughs> He's breaking a lot, a lot sooner because his brakes were knackered. Because you remember yeah. he was saying he was having brake problems before, before the accident. Um, so yeah. it was definitely a case of I think just a little bit of exuberance from JB. Uh, but he, to be fair, he immediately apologised for for ruining past his race and stuff. So fair play to Jensen. He's always he's always been quick to put his hand up and say, "Yep, cocked up. Sorry, won't do it again." You're listening to the Last Lab Podcast, the home of F1 banter. And that's three retirements and three for poor pastor. Yeah. So let's see if we can get it home at Bahrain. We'll wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> and as Roman, as Roman proved, though, there's a little bit of pace in that car. There is. There's, if, he there's wants to, to if he wants to keep out of trouble, there's no reason why he can't score some decent points anywhere between sort of sixth and tenth. So... Yeah, let's see what you got, Maldonado, because Roman's proven to be Mr. Consistency and Mr. Safe. So mm. he, Maldonado has to, you know, has to lay it down now, Mario. He's going to get comprehensively beaten by his teammate. So pressure's on, am I? I think like Pastor Maldonado feels pressure. In the well. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't really fit into Boy, his now. character. I think he's just like, <laughs> what will be, will be. Let's just, just get out and do it. Mm. I, I think the only thing that he's probably looking at is going, well, look. 
Montoya is winning everything in IndyCar. I, I can just go and do that. It's fine. <laughs> it's clear if you're some, some crazy Latin hothead or crashes into absolutely everybody for no apparent reason. Well, it's just fine. You just go in, go into the one of the US it's, series it's, uh, and you'll be great. Is Montoya winning in IndyCar, is he? Uh, Indy or Champ Cole, whichever one it is. Yeah, he's... Um, I don't really follow the American motorsports, so... I keep a vague eye on it because you occasionally see ex-Formula 1 drivers in it and I like to see how yeah, they're doing uh, in another formula. It's but, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, the the new team he's with, I think he's... He's, he's either won the whole thing or he's won lots of things, I think. I can't... Um, I don't care quite that much <laughs> That's and like occasionally you you look out for things in in nascar when he was in nascar because it was quite interesting to see how a formula one driver would do in nascar but uh, i don't care enough to really <laughs> keep pace with the results or any of the bits and pieces fair enough <laughs> so let's have a quick look about what's going on in the news although there isn't very much going on in the news to be entirely honest with you um it's all about the fallout from China in the press conference where uh, Nico yeah. basically accused Lewis of um, going slowly to ruin his race. And then Lewis said, no, that's what he did. Why didn't you just overtake me? Um, Nico said, I did try and overtake you, but it ruined my tyres. Uh, then Lewis came out with some some real psychobabble sort of random stuff all about saying, well, Nico didn't want to win. He only wanted to finish second. Um, I always want to go out and win. Um, I really wish he was up my ass. Um, literally, those were his words. I wish Nicky was up my ass. And I was thinking, you don't mean that at all. You do, you don't want your teammate pressuring you and doing bits and pieces, Lewis. Because when he does beat you, you do exactly the same thing he does, which is complain about how he was racing um, or what went wrong that prevented you from winning. So it's just... Uh, I hate it. I hate that. I'm so tired handbags. of it. Like I just can't be bothered with it at all. Eh? Like it's not. I'm not interested. Eh? Like, I don't. I've not been reading any of the stories about it because I just. It's not what I'm watching Formula One for. I don't care. I'm not interested in what they're saying to each other. You know, some people are into all of that. Nah. I think can't be bothered. The, I think the only thing it's really gone and shown is that if you're a Formula One driver and you're friends with Lewis Hamilton. It doesn't work out very well for you, does it, Adrian Sutton? <laughs> because Lewis Hamilton will screw you over at the drop of a hat, it would seem. He's, well, he does not care. So don't, you know, don't be like friends winning. with the person that you're, you're driving with. He likes winning more than anything in the world, eh? So, I mean, he dumped Nicole Scherzinger to focus on winning F1 races. That should probably tell you everything you need to know. Well, I was just assuming that since he wanted Nico up his ass, that's probably the reason why he's not with Nicole anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Lewis wants to be... He's very, you know... Wants to be, like, Senna Prost levels of, of F1 sort of notoriety. And he's not going to get that if he... Just wins the one world title, or maybe the two world titles. He want he wants it more, and that's fair play. Like you need that to be a competitive sportsman. You do need that. It just might it might might bite him bite him back one day. I just think the levels of smugness are getting a little bit too much for me here. Um, what you want is you want a prime Schumacher versus a prime Lewis. I just <laughs> what what really needs to happen is it's it's like he's forgotten what it's like to be in a bad car. And now, now he's winning again. He feels he can say what he wants, do what he wants, act how he wants, and he's untouchable. And I, you know, 
as much as I didn't particularly like Rosberg's outburst because it's kind of a sort of thing that was just like if even if that was the case all you've got to do is just say um I couldn't I couldn't do it because of the tires it's incredibly frustrating and that's just the way the way the race went you don't have to blame Lewis for edging you back towards Vettel and all those bits and pieces there's just there's just no point in it because all it is going to do is make you look like you're moaning about your teammate and that you couldn't do anything about him and whether you could or couldn't do anything about him is almost here or there in terms of how well it's going to play out in the, you know, in today's social arena, um, where the drivers are judged on literally everything that they say. Um, but the same thing will happen to, to Lewis, I'm sure of it. I'm sure he will get himself into the position where he thinks he can say anything and everybody will love him and it's not going to happen, you know. It, it could be something really stupid, like he, he will always cap backwards during the Chinese national anthem. I've seen that. Well, somebody pointed out on Twitter, I think it might have been Martin Brando or somebody of similar. Yeah, it was. everybody else took their hat off, you know, I assume as a sign of respect. And, 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 that's, uh, and, and that's Lewis has got it backwards, like he's just come back from hanging out with Kanye or something, you know? Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's a stupid thing going up to the front for the anthem, but that's you know that's what it is so just respect it um he's gotten in a bit of trouble for spraying uh champagne at some of the chinese uh pit girls um which i thought was uh, to be to be fair to lewis was a little bit unfair because sebastian's done that the last few times he's had champagne he specifically goes and sprays it on the pit girls and and what have you and and they do that in other sports in moto gp and and all the other bits and pieces but there's two things there, really. One, why do we have pit girls in 2015? This isn't the 1970s. That's not the audience. We don't need leggy girls stood in front of each car holding the national flag or the number of the car. They just don't need it. It's pointless. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but if you're going to have them, it's probably, it will probably be better to show them some respect and not douse them in champagne. That isn't their job. That's not what they're there for. Do you know what I mean? They're only hanging around because they have to bring on the blooming microphones to you after the champagne has been sprayed. Otherwise, they'd all be out back not being seen. So, I mean, ironically, what I'd rather have is no pit girls, so it can't happen. But if if they're there, if they're gonna have to be there, then just leave them alone. That's you know, <laughs> not their job is not glamorous in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> just leave them alone. And it, it, that's the kind of sort of silly little thing that's going to catch him out, you know, like his whole, maybe it's because I'm black comment, which actually I thought was quite <laughs> funny, um, yeah. but played really, really badly. Um, and he, he's not untouchable and it, it, it will cost him something if he continues down this way of, of behaving. Um, he was, ironically, he was much better last year. Um, I wasn't anywhere near near is aff sort of aff affronted by the the levels of you know smoke because one maybe because he was chasing a lot of last year you know this year he's but even when he got ahead and you know he was he seemed comfortable and nico was struggling he never made it seem like it was um i don't know like he didn't care about anything else did you know what i mean it, he he was obviously focused and, and all the other bits and pieces. I'm not saying that, but he didn't make it seem like 
being seen as the best up was above everything else and this year it seems like that's the way he decided to be and it's just it's not very appealing as far as i'm concerned but you know there you go could just be me <laughs> you're listening to the last lap podcast i never watched the um the press conference or that so i don't don't know how he came across and that but now i totally get what you mean i, I felt about i felt like that about when he won his first world title i wasn't crazy about him and then he went through the few years of having a crap car, like you say, and, 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 you know, it was fine because he wasn't winning. I haven't yet to notice it, really, since he started winning, but I'm going to keep, I'll keep an eye out for it now. If, he's, and if, he, if he wins in Bahrain, and it's, I'll, I'll maybe make a point of looking out for the interviews he does after it and see how he comes across. And I think another interesting thing was that um, after the race in the... Um, uh, up at the podium thing, it was really interesting to see Rosberg and um, Vettel talking in German, and Lewis just standing there, huh? just sort of standing there. Yeah. And even last season when they were fighting for the championship, they was it was still the two Mercedes guys talking to one another, you know. Uh, and now there's just nothing there. Um, Send Nico to Ferrari when Kimi hangs up. That would yeah. be nice. That would be fun. It could be fun. Send Fernando to Mercedes. That would be mental. <laughs> Lewis and Fernando in the Mercedes. Now, Lewis, Fernando should have a winning car of his own by then. I would have hoped so. Fingers crossed. Just go back to China. Just one thing I forgot to mention well, briefly. How funny was Kimi on the radio when he approached to lap the, the McLaren? Anyway, get this car out the way. That was that was brilliant. I loved that. Um, just because it was Fernando, obviously, uh, his teammate from last year being lapped by the uh, by the Ferrari. Loved that. Loved Kimi on the radio. As you can probably understand, I was I, I found <laughs> that less funny. <laughs> I imagine so, but yeah, that's racing. <laughs> Um, interesting uh, thing that I saw today was that a uh, Sky Italia female reporter has been fired um, for calling Fernando. Um, I can't remember. It was something and an imbecile. Um, okay. For his in, what, in what context? Yeah. What was? Well, I, I think um, it, certainly that he he made a mistake in moving from Ferrari and all the other bits and pieces. Oh, okay. and that When he'd been asked about Ferrari, he'd been he's you know he just gets, kind of told it from his point of view that he he moved to McLaren to on the gamble of being you know in a team that can compete with Mercedes and at the moment the Ferrari has only done that one out of one out of three so um you know if they finish if they finish second it's no worse than he's done the last three seasons so what's he really lost nothing and I think that's gone down very badly with some of the Tifosi um but if you're a journalist, you can't do it. You you really can't sit there and and put your things. You know, if I worked for Sky, I wouldn't sit there and you know talk about how much I disliked Sebastian Vettel when he was winning all the titles with Red Bull. You just wouldn't do that because your job would stipulate that. Whilst you can give your opinion on stuff, you can't be out there saying, "Oh, this guy really gets on my tits." It's just <laughs> not. You know, that's not how it works. Or, "Oh, I think he's I think he's such a jumped up little git." You just you just can't say those things. It's just you know nobody's going to pay you to be a, be on TV to 
to give that kind of opinion. And, you know, she said it on Twitter, but it's still, you are that person. You know, sadly, that's that you've got nobody to blame but yourself, really. Manage, manage your feelings. I didn't catch that story. But it, it's only broken today. Like, mm. I only saw it in the last couple of hours. So I don't think it's it's world news at all. Has uh, anything else caught your eye? Uh, no, not really. It's mostly everybody's kind of been saying what you'd expect. Um, it's a quick turnaround towards Bahrain, <laughs> so there's not really a lot of time for anything no. to go on. I mean, before we know it, we're going to be rolling into free practice. And... <laughs> Toro Rosso are happy. Um, Sauber are happy. Sauber are very happy. Lotus are very happy. Uh, Full Cinder aren't very happy. McLaren are not very happy, but looking forward to improvements <laughs> in the car. So, so, so pretty much everything we've just said. Then, yeah, uh, and that's literally everybody's come out and been, yes, the way you think everything is, is in fact actually the way it is. It's always good. <laughs> and Bahrain to come, so that's to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Might be a good one. You never know. <laughs> Uh, well, we can but hope, can't we, really? I mean, it was all right last year. Yeah, that's what One I of was, the races yeah. of the season last year, but I just get the feeling that, that might have been a Mercedes <laughs> are just going to be on top of their drivers from now on. And, yeah, it's not a high-deg circuit, even if it's warm, so... It's got a kind of Lewis... A Lewis comfortable victory, Nico in second, Sebastian Vettel in third, kind of... Kind of feel uh, to... I would be... Not unsurprised if the top six are ex- almost exactly how they were, yep. with the possibility of you know maybe Bottas ahead of Massa and possibly Kimi in front of yep. uh, of Sebastian if they happen if he happens to have a good qualifying. But it yeah. doesn't fill me with the confidence that we'll have a classic race. No, at all. Uh, I think I agree with you there. And like you just said, I, I could see the top six being the same. Well, on, on that highly optimistic note, <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap up the podcast. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, I, I hope you've been able to understand me through my croaky little throat. Uh, fingers crossed that after Bahrain, uh, I'll have something like a normal speaking voice. Yeah, um, well, but we just won't have anything to talk about. Well, yeah. This is into- <laughs> well, it could be good because then my throat can get a goddamn rest. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, you will always be able to catch us... Um, on our website, www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for The Last Lap Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Last Podcast. And, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, and, just to remind everybody, TuneIn is now working. I don't know what happened to our feed. Uh, it seemed to stop working uh, the tail end of last season. But all of the latest episodes are up there. This episode will be uh, up there once it's uploaded. Um, so you can subscribe from there. It's a great way of getting the podcasts um, on your mobile device, uh, if especially if you've got an Android device and you're not using iTunes. Um, but one thing I would really like to ask uh, anybody who's listening, if you could pop onto iTunes or tune in uh, and leave us a little, uh, you know, rate us with the stars in iTunes. And I think it's got the same thing in tune in. Or really preferably, what we'd really like is if you could leave us a little review in iTunes because it really helps push us up the rankings so that other people can find the podcast and, and join in with you guys, uh, enjoying, hopefully, what we do. So, yeah, if you could do that for us, guys, we would be monumentally grateful. Um, Sean. Yes. Have you changed your Twitter handle again? 
It's it, yeah, it's changed to I changed it at the start of the season, but I don't think we got round to explaining what it or did we? I can't remember. No, we didn't. Do you want to explain the I reason? Thought we, I thought maybe we did explain. No, we were gonna do it last week and I completely forgot. Did I not say I changed it to something that I used to have or you something? You did, like that? but we said we were gonna we were oh, gonna okay. save the reasoning for another episode. I think we should I think we should let people in. Oh no, I'm feeling under pressure now for the story to be interesting. It's not that interested in that. It's uh, my Twitter handle while we're talking about it. You could follow me if you're interested in what I have to say. It's uh, usually general sports, including F1, but horse racing, that kind of thing. Um, it's now at Firebolt Willow. And the story behind this, a very un- uninteresting story behind this Twitter <laughs> handle, this is actually from a Harry Potter fan site. Uh, from from back in the day, because uh, anybody who knows me knows how much I love my Harry Potter, uh, and I don't know for some reason you couldn't create your own username, so it it gave you like a random generated username, <laughs> and that was and, your it, and it was it was Firebolt Willow, ah, so that's where the brilliant. story comes from. So that's what I'm I'm back to that. I'm using that again. I've not, I hadn't used it for years, and then over the winter I was like, I need a new Twitter handle. I will just I'll go back to that. So so that's that. We're back on that one, and I'm I'm. That's uh, the long-term projection for my, my ever-changing <laughs> Twitter handle. So that's that. Firebolt Willow. Hope to see you on the Twitter. So for all your Harry Potter fan fiction, follow at Firebolt Willow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Megs if you're uh, interested in me wittering on and uh, reposting funny F1 stuff, which is pretty much all I seem to, uh, to be doing these days. Uh, that and complaining um, bitterly about... Uh, the uh, the status quo in the politics probably although I think I'll probably oh, yeah. lay off that because it just seems to be leading to nothing but trouble. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but it's fun for me to read when you get yourself into Twitter arguments and general internet tomfoolery. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so there you go, folks. Um, uh, hope you've really enjoyed listening to us. Um, we've had good fun as always. Uh, we will be back after Bahrain. Um, with a catch-up of everything going on in F1 and the uh, review of the race. So again, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.